I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, Labour's own goal. Public servants earning more than $60,000 will only be offered pay increases under exceptional circumstances for the next three years. Senior leaders and those on more than $100,000 will get no raise at all. But it's not just officials in Wellington affected by this, it's all those on the government's payroll. The major rationale for setting these expectations is, of course, the government's overall financial position, the need to demonstrate fiscal responsibility as we need to continue to step our way out of COVID-19. It is very important for us to show leadership and lead by example in the public service. I don't think that Labour was quite prepared for the outpouring from the public and particularly from the unions. I think it was caught off guard by the fury and how quickly the narrative shifted to be about teachers, about nurses, about police officers. We kept COVID-19 at bay. These are your hospital workers, people at our borders, people in your testing labs. It was all due to public servants. From a police point, I can tell you that you know 44% increase over the last four years in family harm incidents attended, mental health going through the roof gang members at record numbers. They're working harder than ever and this is just a kick in the guts. Teachers worked astonishingly hard to keep things going and hold things together, provide continuity through lockdown and are continuing to deal with the impacts of the pandemic. Any nursing graduate would be off to Oz well, or any other country where you're going to get immeasurably more money than you will here, as will any other public servant with transferable skills. I think it thought that the message was, for example, that the government is cracking down on on the pen pushers, on the well-paid Wellington bureaucrats. I think it thought that that would play well, probably, with the median voter, that, that this idea that we're all pulling together, that we're cutting our cloth. And I suspect that they have some sort of polling which backs that up. Labour's announcement last week of a public service wage freeze aimed at its traditional voter base took just about everyone by surprise. Then the party lost control of the narrative, and not even this. We have finally got a date. Oh, yeah. A matrimonial reveal from the Prime Minister could distract from it. The wage freeze drew comparisons to Muldoon-era economics. More about that later when I talk to the ANZ's chief economist. But first, RNZ's deputy political editor, Craig McCulloch, on how... This idea of a sensible spending government seems to have been pushed to the side and instead is starting to look more like a miserly, punitive move that could end up hurting Labour in the polls. Craig, who saw this coming? <laughs> well, I guess we knew that there was an announcement coming because there was this pay freeze last year. It was about to run out June 2021. So we knew that there was a that the government needed to issue some new expectations. I guess if the question is why this decision, why, uh, why a pay freeze now... That is a trickier question to answer. And I think that the surprise at that was at the extent of the freeze and probably because of the wider context. I think if the freeze was only going to cover, for example, those people earning more than a hundred grand, probably not many people would have blinked an eyelid. That's you know, it's not a it's not a huge salary in the big cities, but it's high enough above the median that people probably wouldn't feel too much sympathy. The fact that it was set at sixty thousand uh, pay rises only in exceptional circumstances. It's not surprising a lot of people sat up. That's 75% of the public sector workforce um, who earn more than $60,000. It's not an insignificant number of people. So th- that is the first disconnect. Then there is the wider context, which is Grant Robertson came into government 
talking about nine years of neglect, talking about the public sector left behind, the need to boost pay to, to catch up. Labour sent out a tweet yesterday in what can only be described as a misguided move boasting about how great the books were looking, about the strong balance sheet. The very day before the announcement, Grant Robinson was talking to a business audience here in Wellington, talking about how how well the economy had fared in an international context. One day later, all of a sudden it's fiscal responsibility, it's pay restraint, it's doing your bit. So it's not much of a surprise, really, that for the public service and for, for the unions, this really came as a slap in the face. I guess, though, to be fair to him, that while the economy has fared far better than we thought, it's been propped up by an awful lot of government money, an awful lot of handouts, and it's left us with massive debt. I mean, has he suddenly just remembered that he's the finance minister and he's got a budget coming up this month? (laughs) I suspect that they have some sort of polling. I don't know this, but I suspect they have some sort of polling, some sort of focus group, which suggests that the wider public, not not the public sector, the wider public, is concerned about Wellington large yes and chiefly yes around debt. It's, of course, it's important to remember that in, in the international context, New Zealand's debt is still very low. However, if that's not the public perception, perception is everything and that's what the government needs to. It needs to, it wants to reinforce this image of a sensible spending government. I think that is the message that Labour wanted to convey with this. I think it thought that the message would be, here's Grant Robertson cracking down on well-paid Wellington bureaucrats. We're all in this together. We're all tightening our belts. I think it probably thought, maybe it still thinks, this will play well with the median voter, that swing voter, the person who previously backed John Key and Bill English now votes Jacinda Ardern, Grant Robertson. They probably, Grant Robertson probably thought that this would uh, appeal to that person. The problem is, it does not appear that that is the narrative which has taken off. You saw that the very first media release to land after this announcement was the Public Service Association. Its subject line was, pay restrictions punish public servants who protected us from COVID-19. That's teachers, that's nurses, MIQ workers, border workers. And all of a sudden, the government doesn't look quite as noble, it starts to look miserly and punitive and all of a sudden the move could backfire. Yeah, this is Labour's traditional voting base, isn't it? Why are they doing this to them? Well, that's a good question. I mean, here is what the government says. It says, we are grateful, we are thankful, we value you. Oh, and by the way, now is the time we need to pull together and, and, and tighten our belts and cut our cloth. You know, the government says its focus is on the very lowest paid. That's its message. As we looked at the situation that the government finds itself in, having taken on significant debt, we have made the choice to focus on reducing inequality. And that starts, for us, with the public sector pay by focusing on those who are the lowest income earners. It's worth noting there are a few other aspects at play here, uh, a few other aspects that the government is stressing. For one, work on the gender pay gap, work on um, pay equity. That actually overrules this. And then secondly already existing agreements which have pay hikes in them. For example, say teachers and nurses, they have the the salary scale in their agreements where they move up a step um, every year up to a certain amount. That will still continue, so uh, those people will still move up the salary scale as they otherwise would. And teachers who I believe have a 3% pay rise, which is still yet to come into force, that would still happen as well. So the ministers were really stressing those points in Parliament, trying to regain hold of that narrative, but really it it came a day late. We've had a massive response, and uh, without a doubt the theme is what 
where is the government coming from? What rock are they under? Are they not looking out there and seeing the cost of housing, the cost of rents, the obvious inflation that's coming through? And every economist is saying inflation is going to be a big issue. And any pay freeze in reality is a pay cut over three years when you've got inflation. I guess whether or not the PSA wins out of this will depend on whether or not Labor back down or, or, or the extent to which Labor might soften this approach. I mean, the extent of the backlash, how long it persists, whether it begins to hurt Labor's polling, that will determine whether um, a, a Labor change on this. If left-wing voters are simply shifting to the Greens, if that's what they see in the polling, Labor's probably not too worried by that. But if there is suddenly a very visible negative impact, if these press releases turn into plunging morale, if they turn into strikes, if they turn into people packing up and moving to Australia, all of that is going to weigh on Labour's position. There is some wiggle room in here for Labour to kind of shift around, maybe pull back a little bit, given that there is scope for workers between $60,000 and $100,000, scope for some pay rises in exceptional circumstances. And I imagine that the unions or some unions will be arguing in their collective negotiations that COVID-19 is a very exceptional circumstance. You mentioned strikes there. Have you heard anything about that? I would say at this point it seems almost unavoidable. The unions are furious. Uh, They will go into collective bargaining, and if they are unhappy with what's on offer, they will strike. I mean, it was interesting. You heard um, the Council of Trade Unions on RNZ this week saying that they plan to go into bargaining as if this guidance does not exist. They said, we will not be intimidated, which that gives you a sense of how negotiations might go. I actually asked the ministers specifically about strikes, whether they were prepared for the possibility. Um, They said, and I quote, uh, the public servants want to do the right thing. So they are hoping that the workers will be placated by factors other than pay, other working conditions which could be negotiated. But the fact of the matter is, money talks and people walk. All of a sudden, there's a pay freeze on the public sector And I wouldn't blame them one little bit if they were furious. I think it would maybe be politically expedient to have some more slicing somewhere else to avoid the the impression that one group is wearing this. Of course, the increase in public sector salaries is a pretty small proportion of of government spending, which of course has made this uh, quite a, a political move. This is Sharon Zollner, who's the chief economist for ANZ New Zealand. She points out while our economy is currently looking robust and is doing much better than expected, we're sitting on a mountain of debt, and that's not sustainable. It's a tightening up. I mean, it is inevitable that the government is going, well, hopefully going to spend less uh, in the next 12 months than it has in the last 12 months, because that wage subsidy was one out of the box. It was massive, um, and something would have to go terribly, horribly wrong in the economy for us to need to spend that much government money again. So... Government spending will be detracting from GDP growth um, over the next 12 months by virtue of it being smaller than it was. But that's entirely reasonable and and appropriate. Um, And and, uh, then it comes down to political spin. Uh, I guess they probably figure that if they're getting equal criticism from the left about not spending more and from the right about not uh, pulling their spending more than maybe they've got it about right, Mm. it's, it's a very political question, obviously, how big the government should be. And the risk with any sort of temporary spending is is that it becomes permanent. It's very easy for that to happen. Um, but the, the generally accepted rules about fiscal stimulus is that it should be temporary, timely and targeted. 
um, difficult to achieve those things in practice, but if they are temporary, then by nature they should roll off over time. It is important, otherwise you'll get a, an ongoing deterioration in the, in the government books. And this is why we've got a three-year time span? Yeah, well, I, for the wage freeze, yeah, yeah. three years is, is quite long in terms of the uncertainty about what might happen over that kind of time frame. It's perhaps a little surprising they decided to, to make it so long. It raises the risk um, that if, for example, private sector wages were to jump quite a lot, that they might have to backtrack on it. I think we're a long way out. Currently, the economic indicators aren't actually terrible. Unemployment is down. Unemployment is down, but that's not the only factor a finance minister has to take into account when balancing the books. We have borrowed from the future. Monetary and fiscal policy can't magic up resources. All they can do is shift spending through time. So, and unfortunately, that future can arrive in a fairly lumpy fashion. And New Zealand is, of course, sitting on a rather large fault line. And, and so we, we do get these shocks from time to time, but either tectonic shocks or other ones mm. that, that require a large fiscal response. And so we do need to run lower levels of government debt than some other countries can get away with, for example. What are the chances that this um, restriction on public service wages will drive down private sector wages? We're actually expecting a bit more wage pressure than you would normally see for an unemployment rate where it is. So basically firms are telling us that they are having enormous trouble finding labour. That's their number one problem. Um, their employment intentions have, have bounced back a lot in our business survey and job ads have jumped as well. So they are acting on those intentions. So clearly the labour market is actually quite tight even though the unemployment rate is higher than it was. And I think that reflects how distorted the economy is at the moment with tourism out for the count, but construction booming. Essentially, firms can't find the people with the skills that they want because we've got such an uneven recovery. And if that's the case, then you'd expect to see pockets of quite intense wage pressure. So is that the same skills base that the the government will be competing with the private sector for, possibly, in, in pockets. Um, and, and so there, there is perhaps a risk that if we do see a decent dose of, of private sector wage inflation, that the government could have retention problems and trying to hold on to their staff. What are the chances there that this move could backfire, that it could, uh, you know, dozens of nurses, hundreds of nurses stream across the Tasman to work in Australia where the wages are higher? And then the, pub, the health service is going to have to pay more to get people in. Yeah, so the board has had, had quite an impact on, on the labour market and, and in particular the availability of labour, right from very low-skilled sort of temporary seasonal workers in cafes or fruit picking or whatever up to, to the engineers and the doctors and, and whatnot. Uh, but that bubble, that one-way bubble to Australia has, of course, been open for, for quite some time um, and absolutely, there's a risk uh, that if that as that wage differential gets bigger, people could up and move. Uh, that said, I think New Zealand's been a pretty attractive place to live um, over the last 12 months. But um, and of course, Australia has has taken away various uh, rights of New Zealanders over the years. It's um, become less attractive, I think, to move to Australia um, as you've been excluded from from various benefits and and things over there. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, there, there, if that, that wage differential did open up, then that is a risk, yes.
But it sounds to me like you're saying there might be a little bit of hot air over this. There might be loud voices complaining about the move. But actually, a lot of people don't have a lot of choice now. We, they might just have to suck it up. Yeah, that'll come. That'll be what it comes down to. What are the the other opportunities available to people? Certainly, the, the private sector needs fewer policy analysts, for example. Uh, but there are some some other sectors where the public and the private sector do compete more directly. So, um, of course, there there are some there's some allowance in this rule for exceptional circumstances and extreme recruitment problems, or I can't remember the exact the exact wording, but basically acknowledging that at times they might just have to pony up. This is 1970 economics. I mean, it's amazing. What are we going to do next? We're going to roll out carless days to combat climate change. I think we're a lot more sophisticated than that. What were they smoking? It's the stuff of Muldoon days. A bloody pay freeze. The freeze on incomes will be matched by a freeze on prices. The prices of goods and services will not be allowed to rise above their normal levels applying at midnight tonight. People are talking about this as kind of Muldoon-era economics. Do you see it in that framing? And Muldoon attempted to freeze both prices and wages of everybody, not just the government sector. That was a classic Band-Aid on a cancer patient type policy. It's like, well, we want to get rid of inflation, so we'll just make inflation illegal. Um, yeah, no, I don't exactly think this is on a par with that. Um, that this is is more like a very large private company imposing, um, uh, sorry, everyone no pay increases for a while, which is is, is very is very common. No, I don't I don't think this can be validly compared to what Muldoon tried to do in terms of distorting wage and price signals in the economy. The Prime Minister said in his announcement, the fight is against inflation, and the measures are in lieu of the failure to arrange a wage tax deal. I would be wary of drawing too many comparisons with um, Robert Muldoon. I think that was probably, well, it was the most extreme example of of price control that we've seen in New Zealand during a peacetime. I mean, this 1982 through 1984, uh, Robert Muldoon froze wages and prices across the country. That was countrywide. It was a freeze on the public and private sector, it affected everybody. This is all salary levels. Like I said, it was wages and prices. I mean, it's frankly unthinkable nowadays. This is guidance, and I imagine that there'll be some pushback. Fair to say that that was not particularly well received by employers or workers um, back in the 80s, but these are very different scenarios. I don't think at all you can go as far as saying that this is Maldine-esque. There is, of course, one great thing about being a public servant these days. They still have jobs. And that's something that many in the private sector have lost. We should probably pull back a little bit too and understand the context of all of this uh, and one of the other factors which is involved, which is that the public sector has a benefit that the people in the private sector don't, and that is that they, they have a lot more job security. So, for example, the public sector are not very often uh, at risk of losing their jobs during COVID-19 when the government was spending a lot on the wage subsidy to keep people in jobs in the private sector. The public sector didn't really have that worry. They had job security and they continue to have job security. If you're working in the travel industry, if you're working in tourism and hospitality, Um, If you are working in the events sector, for example, where they are still very much feeling the pain from COVID-19, I imagine those people are not feeling quite so cheery about the public sector, about ministry bureaucrats collecting fat pay rises. So that is another consideration in play here that will probably also be weighing on the government's mind. Chris Hipkins also making the point that there has already been 
wage restraint in the private sector. He says they have numbers which show that actually um, recently public sector wage growth outstripped the private sector. And so he thinks that this is a bit more about evening the playing field. That also on the government's mind. Craig, how much money is he going to save doing this? They have not put a number on it. I guess it is a tricky question to answer because it is something of an unknown. It's this hypothetical, I guess. It's it's what what might the price rises have been uh, the, uh, if, if there wasn't a freeze. And I, we will not know that. But we do know that the total annual wage bill for the core public sector is $5 billion. For the whole public sector, it's $27 billion. If you're going to put, a, put an arbitrary figure on it, say 2%, across that, if, if there was a 2% increase across the board, that's $500 million. It's not a huge sum in the grand scheme of things. The government says uh, it, it, it all adds up. That was a direct quote from the announcement, that it all adds up. But I think it is fair to say that this is less about finances. It is more about a political signal. The phrase the ministers um, kept using was this uh, phrase, showing leadership, that the public sector needs to lead the way in showing fiscal constraint. And so I think that that is the signal the government is trying to send rather than actually making a substantial uh, savings in terms of finances. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Mark Jennings and Jesse Chang. Thanks to Sharon Zolna and Craig McCulloch and thanks also to Natonga Sound and Vision for the archive audio. Kakite. Ka